are now tuning in to the Mind Body Podcast, where you will go behind the scenes of how the mind of successful entrepreneurs, experts, and true leaders really works. Here you won't just listen, you will understand the guiding principles to create massive change in any area of your life. And of course, this podcast is hosted by the strong, lovely, with the sexy Jewish accent, Lidor Dayan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, it's Lidor Dayan, and I'm your host in the Mind Body Podcast. And in today's episodes, I interviewed James Krieger. For those of you who don't know, James Krieger is the founder of Weightology. He has a master's degree in nutrition from the University of Florida and a second master's degree in exercise science from Washington State University. He is the former research director for a corporate weight management program that treated over 400 people per year with an average weight loss of 40 pounds in three months. James is a published scientist author and speaker in the field of exercise and nutrition. So I'm very honored to have him in my podcast. So I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. So without further ado, let's begin. Welcome, James, to the Mind Body Podcast. How are you, man? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate your time uh, talking to me. So uh, I want to take to back to the early years, how did you get into fitness? Uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, I was actually, I started uh, in college in computer science and, uh, you know, my whole career path was, eventually I wanted to work for Microsoft. I, I mean, I had been a goal of mine <laughs> through high school and everything. I mean, because I, I actually, you know, Microsoft is in the Seattle area where I live and um, but, you know, I was really, really skinny in high school, extremely skinny. And, and so I got into weight training, uh, pretty much for a lot of the same reasons other guys get into it. You know, you want to get girls and stuff. Yeah. So started weight training, but I got, kind of got fascinated by the changes that were happening to my body. And with, uh, an automatic interest in science, I kind of started, uh, you know, you, you kind of start off reading the bodybuilding magazines, muscle and fitness, things like that. Um, but I would always kind of read the little sections that would talk about research and stuff. So um, so I would just I started to develop this growing interest in the science aspect of all of it. And then, you know, this is still kind of the early days of the Internet. And uh, I discovered, you know, a news group called... Um, uh, MFW, it was called, MISC.fitness.weights. And I got on in, and there were guys on there like Lyle McDonald was on there and, and some other people. Um, and that's when I started to, my first started to network with people in the industry. I remember I joined some email lists at the time, and I would get in debates with people and stuff, and I would start to read more and more, learn how to read research. And uh, then I kind of lost, started losing interest in computer science. I I started losing so much interest in it, and I actually had a year to go for my computer science degree, and I just decided I don't want to do this, and so I switched my major to exercise science, um, and just went from there. So I ended up getting my undergrad degree, went and got my master's, uh, then my goal was to get my PhD in nutrition, 
but uh, things didn't work, work working for me uh, in the PhD program at University of Florida, so I basically switched to just finishing with a master's instead. And and yeah, so that's that's kind of how I got involved in the industry, really. So this is what made you like passionate, like when you first uh, just started lifting and you you found that you're really passionate about it. Yeah. And yeah. This is why you you left Microsoft. Well, I, well, it's why I didn't pursue a career there. I never actually worked there. I, my my goal was to work there, but I never actually went through with that because I just ended up taking a different career path. So. And uh, in the earlier, uh, like you you started to see re results in your body. Yeah. And you yeah. you start to gain weight. Like how much we're we talking about here? So. So. I probably. I mean, initially, I mean, I, you know, my first few years of training, I probably put on, you know, 10 pounds or so fairly quick, 10 to 15 pounds fairly quickly. And then the rest of it over the years has come a lot slower. You know, I'm probably maybe 30 pounds from where I started, but that was, you know, this is years ago. I mean, this is like, it's been probably, I mean, I've been training for over 20 years. So, you know, I'm. Uh, um, you know, compared to other guys who have been training that long, I'm not nearly as big as some guys are. You know, but there's a you know there's a lot of genetics involved there. Um, you know. Yeah. How is uh, really genetics comes into play? Like when we're talking about building muscle, uh, there are so many people that claim they're so natural and they look like they're really taking something. So uh, how can you really maximize your full potential and really gain as much muscle as possible naturally? Um, well, I think I would say. I mean, the genetics do play a big role. I mean, just to give you an example, um, some of these guys that look just freaky, but they're naturals, if you were to look at these guys, I mean, I'll use Jeff Nippert as an example. I mean, the guy, he trains, he's got a great training program. He's very knowledgeable. So I'm not, you know, knocking any of that. I mean, he's very knowledgeable. I mean, he knows what he's doing. But he is genetically blessed, and he'll he'll say that too. You know, he'll say that he's very genetically blessed too. And and we know that simply because if anyone who has ever seen pictures of his mom, his mom is pretty jacked. So so uh, so he inherited up some pretty good muscle building genes. You know, um, I mean, some people may not real. You know, actually use Arnold Schwarzenegger as an example too. I mean, people. I mean, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger used steroids and stuff, but what a lot of people don't realize is um, there's a picture out there of Arnold when he was like 13 years old, something like that, and he's doing a bicep shot. And he was like literally, I mean, he was jacked as a 13-year-old. He was just amazingly muscular as a 13-year-old. So he was already very genetically blessed, you know, ignoring whether in fact you, you know, use steroids or whatever. So there is a huge genetic component. We also know that... Um, Anyone who might have read a recent article I wrote with Brett Contreras, we talked about genetic differences and responses to training and diet. And uh, it's amazing when you put people on the same training program, the differences you will see in terms of muscle gain from one person to the next. One person may gain very little muscle, and another person will gain a huge amount of muscle from the exact same training program. So, um, so how do we maximize it naturally? Uh, you know, I say first, you kind of use research as a guide, and when I say a guide, research can't tell you exactly what to do, but it can kind of give you some ideas. So, for example, you know, I've collaborated with research on, with Brad Schoenfeld on a number of things, like training volume, and so we 
so far the data seems to suggest that higher volumes of training, to a point at least, are somewhat better for, for maximizing muscle size than lower volumes. But that doesn't mean that's true for everyone. You know, you have to kind of experiment and, and uh, you know, maybe you're not a, a person who responds very well to high volume. So there's, there's a lot of personal experimentation involved. Um, you know, the bottom line is, you know, are you seeing progress? You know, I mean, if you're seeing progress, keep doing what you're doing. If you're not seeing progress, then obviously you got to do something different. Um, and then you have to take into consideration how long you've been training. I mean, you know, if you've been training for 20 years, I mean, you know, even if you're not close to your genetic potential, you know, even if you still got some room, uh, you know, progress is going to be slow when you're training for 20 years. I mean, you know, people have been training a long time, you know, gaining a couple pounds of muscle per year. Uh, can be, uh, um, can actually be um, about about how much they could expect, you know. So, so it's probably going to depend on your training age as well. And when I say training age, I mean how long you've been training for. And when I say training age, I mean how long you've been training for. So, uh, for really uh, getting bigger, so you you have to know what works for you and like really. Uh, be aware of if what you're doing is uh, is right or not and change the, the approach and the more science behind you like if uh, you're using uh, something like if you put on yourself all this electrode so you yeah it's like um, you know when I say use research as a guide uh, and I'll, again I'll use the, the research I published with Brad uh, as an example you know we found that um, you know, we analyzed a bunch of studies on muscle hypertrophy and, and the number of sets you do, and we found that on average, you needed to do about 10 sets per muscle group per week or more to get the best gains in muscle size. Um, now, again, that's based on average. That doesn't necessarily mean it's for everybody. But what you do is you use that as a starting point. You use, you know, you do about 10 per sets per muscle group per week. Now, this is a weekly volume, so if you're training, let's say, twice per week, that would be five sets per session, for example. Um, if you're training three times per week, that's only like three three to four sets per session. But um, but the more you do it, like uh, uh, your body, like get you... Uh, to a point, but there's a limit to how much you can increase your volume. I mean... You can't just keep adding sets and sets, you know, because uh, then you risk things like injury and things like that. So, you know, when you get in those types of situations, um, when you start to plateau and if you've already trained with a good amount of volume, well, then you got to switch things up. You know, maybe you got to do a deload, do a, do a period of, of reduced volume training to kind of resensitize your body to, to volume again. Um, maybe you have to start doing some intensity techniques like drop sets, things like that. Um, you know, um, Eric Helms had uh, a, a good kind of rule of thumb. Um, really, it's like, you basically ask the question, are you progressing? And if you are, um, then good, you just keep doing what you're doing. If you're not progressing, then you ask the question, well, do you, are you feeling recovered? Are you feeling good? Then, okay, then, then try, bump it, try increasing your training volume and see what that does. If you're not feeling recovered, if you're feeling kind of down, if you feel if you actually feel like your strength is going down, then you're probably doing too much, and it's probably time to back off and maybe 
maybe uh, drop your training volume for a while and, and go low volume for a while until you kind of recover that and then and then start to ramp back up again. So so that can kind of be a guide that people can do uh, um, as far as guiding you know which way they want to go in terms of training. People can do as far as guiding you know which way they want to go in terms of training. And if we're talking about uh, lagging body parts, because uh, we all have, like, we have calves or shoulders, so for one it will be chest. So how, how can you uh, match a volume or a frequency for a weak body part? Like, how well, how one, you one, uh, there's a couple things you can do. I mean, number one is um, you train that body part first in your training session. So whatever you're doing, train that body part first when you're fresh. Um, because you'll be able to actually do, you'll be able to train harder on that body part if you're doing it first versus if you're saving it to the end of your training session or something like that. So that'd be the first thing. <clears throat> the other thing is, you know, try maybe training that body part with more frequency, um, which which means, you know, some other body parts you may have to kind of back off on or put on maintenance mode, you know, so you can emphasize the, the lagging one. Um, but, you know, increase your training frequency on that particular body part. So. You know, if you're only training that body part once or twice a week, well, try bumping it up to three to four times per week, you know, um, um, and, and that can be a strategy people can use. So, you know, and that can be a strategy people can use. So. And then progress from it, like uh, watching your, your increasing your total yeah, volume so, or um, your intensity. Yeah, I mean, try bumping up your weekly volume on it. So, um, maybe try some intensity techniques like drop sets, things like that. Um, those are all ways you can uh, try to get try to get a lagging body part up to, to see uh, and see if it responds. Try to get try to get a lagging body part up to see and see if it responds. And if we're talking about so for a lagging body part again, it, it depends on what you're currently doing. I mean. If you're doing, let's say, 10 sets per week, well, try bumping it up to 15, 16, to 20 sets per week, you know? Try really ramping the volume up. Um, now, to do that, sometimes you're going to have to increase the frequency as well, you know? So, I mean, let's say you're doing, I don't know, five sets twice a week on a, on a lagging body part. Well, try increasing that to five sets three times per week, you know? So, you've upped the frequency and the volume. So... Now you're doing 15 weekly sets, and you're also training it three times per week versus twice per week. So, I mean, those are those are some ways that you can go about that. Training it three times per week versus twice per week. So, I mean, those are those are some ways that you can go about that. And uh, what's your take uh, on uh, body types? Uh, does it really matter? And uh, if so, do we need to uh, in different ways? You know, like in different people throw around the whole somatotype thing. Workouts? Um, but there's no evidence that somatotype, there's no actually good scientific evidence that somatotype is predictive of how well people are going to gain from, uh, from training. Um, there's some data to show that it's just, you can't necessarily predict, um, uh, you just can't necessarily make those predictions. So the idea that you need to train different ways based on your somatotype. Uh, there's just there's just no good evidence to support that right now, you know. Because um, I've heard you know, I've heard it both ways. I've heard some people who are you know the ectomorph, you know, the naturally skinny guy. Some people say, oh, those guys need to train with low volume. But then I've seen some people say, no, they need to train with really high volume and 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 more frequency than than typically. And and uh, but there's no data to support either one, you know. So. Um, so that's really where the personal experimentation comes into play.
you know? So, um, so it, that's really where the personal experimentation comes into play. Even in nutrition, like uh, they say, mesomorphism. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't know any evidence that's true. Uh, because they're um, sensitive. You know, really it may just more come down to overall calorie intake. I mean, you know, a naturally skinny guy um, may need to eat some eat more uh, than than a mesomorph or, or endomorph. You know, um, in in those terms. But as far as whether they need to go low, lower carb versus higher carb, I don't know any evidence that, that that's true. So, because um, really, you know, controlling your body fat. You know, the, the ratio of carbs to fat is mainly a matter of personal preference. You know, as long as you're getting enough protein, um, then, you know, you need to base your carb intake based on how much you're training. I mean, if you're training a lot with a high volume, then obviously you need to have more carbs versus if you're training pretty low volume where you're going to need less carbs, you know. So, and when you talk, you talked about protein. So uh, as a trainer, I see a lot of uh, guys and women that are overweight and they now need to eat more protein because they want to add more muscles. Uh, so it's really hard for them. They say like, wow, I can't get this enough, enough protein because it's too much for me. So well, how it, can you really I mean, it depends. Help I mean, well, really I mean, you can always use protein powders and things like that. It's a lot easier, obviously. Uh, um, if you're if you're having trouble meeting a certain protein recommendation, um, you know, um, you know, if someone's overweight, you know, one of the benefits of the high protein is is giving satiety if they're trying to lose body fat. You know, so. Um, but yeah, trying to get more protein in. Um, you know, and you know, if you don't have the appetite for it, but you want to get more protein in, yeah, I mean, usually, pro I mean, that's the way I do it. If I don't, if I'm not hungry or whatever, usually I just use protein powders or whatever uh, to get to get my intake up. You know, so. Yeah, this is what I also recommend, but some of them. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's no evidence that they're bad. I mean, they're. I mean, it's food. You know, it's just a. It's just, a, it's basically a form of refined protein is all it is, I mean, so. I mean, it's food, you know, it's just a. Yeah, it's, it's just a supplement. It's basically a form of refined protein is all it is, I mean. Yeah. So. And uh, if we're talking about supplements, uh, what's your intake on uh, supplements and fat burners? Because there are so many fat burners and a lot of people claims that uh, if you take this pill uh, in 30 days, you will get uh, more shredded. And uh, that's really fat burning. Yeah, so most, yeah, most supplements, uh, most supplements are bogus, especially fat loss supplements. I mean, the only one that's really had any good research behind it that actually shows any meaningful changes has been, is ephedrine um, or ephedra. Um, you know, you also go by Ma Huang, but, you know, um, you know, in the United States, I'm not sure what it's like in Israel, but uh, in the United States, you know, it's illegal to sell that here. You know, you can't get that. Here anymore. Yeah. So, um, and even then, you know, it's it's only going to give you a small boost. It's not going to. It's not like you know, it's not like you're going to start just melting fat away. You know, the only advantage that you know ephedra, and especially when people would use the ephedrine caffeine aspirin stack, is um, you know the benefit it had was. Um, it slightly raises your energy expenditure and would help suppress your appetite at the same time. Um, 
So really, it was just it's just another tool to establish an energy deficit. It's not like it's going to magically melt that away. You still need to have an energy deficit to do that. Um, it just makes it easier to establish that energy deficit, especially if you're getting into low body fat numbers and you know you're struggling with your appetite. Um, you know, the ECA stack was always a great way to to kind of help suppress that appetite. You know, so um, so really, that's the only thing research-wise that's been shown to actually have any effect. Everything else, you know. So really, that's the only thing research-wise that's been shown to actually have any effect. Everything else, you know. Do you think it's more like in our mind, like when people take fat burners? So if you tell them this fat burner will give you less appetite, and they really believe. Um, yeah, there's a, there could be a certain placebo effect there. Um, the other thing that can happen too is. Sometimes when people use these products, they change a bunch of other things at the same time. They change their diet, they change all these other things, and really it's the other stuff that's, that's actually working and not, and not the supplement itself. So. Yeah, no, there's no evidence, there's no good evidence. Green tea really um, has any significant um, fat burning effect, you know, L-carnitine doesn't work at all. Um, the green tea, you know, I actually did some research reviews on it a long time ago. Uh, has really no, no noticeable physiological effects as far as fat loss, you know, nothing that would actually be noticeable. Um, yeah, nothing. And in the green tea, for all practical purposes, nothing as well. I mean, I'd have to go back and look what I wrote about green tea, but I remember that the research was like, um, I, I don't remember. You know, it showed a slight increase in energy expenditure, but it wasn't enough to where it would really make any meaningful difference in fat loss. You know, so it showed a slight increase in energy expenditure, but it wasn't enough to where it would really make any meaningful difference in fat loss. You know, so. And uh, you, as a trainer, like you help hundreds of people, and uh, what would you say is the number one key to uh, transform your body and sustain it? Because I see many people, they are very driven at the beginning, and they want to, to lose the weight, to lose the body fat, but then after a week, two weeks, or even a yeah, month, they I'd say the number one... Up in daily style the number one predictor of success, and I've always said this over and over again, is adherence. Um, no matter, you know, there's no magical programs out there or magical diets. You know, the magical program is the one that you can stick to for the long run. You know, and I think that's the mistake people make. People they do some new thing, and and it works at first, but it's not something that they can sustain over a long, you know, over years. And um, Whatever you do, it's got to be something that you could adhere to and that you can see yourself, oh, can I see myself doing this for the next five or ten years? Because if you can't, you're not going to be able to, you're, you're not going to be successful over the long run. So, because if you can't, you're not going to be successful over the long run. And if you have like uh, people, clients that uh, you, you give them the minimum of the minimum, like going two, three times. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, tough. To I mean, it's training. sometimes people like that, they're just not, they're not really ready yet. You know, sometimes someone has to be ready to really change stuff. Um, or it could be, 
just you know, maybe they need to do something different for their exercise program. You know, maybe going to the gym isn't going to work for them, so you have to come up with an alternative. Um, but there's always going to be people, no matter what you do as a coach or trainer, that, you know, you, you can't, let's put it this way, you can't help someone who's not really that interested in helping themselves, you know. I mean, because ultimately, you know, you can't, you can't control somebody else. And so um, you can give them all the tools, you know, to succeed um, and help them and help guide them along the way. But ultimately, it's still going to be up to the person to implement all those things. And you, there's only so much you can do um, to, to help someone, you know. And, and like I said, sometimes some people just aren't ready to ch aren't, aren't ready to change, you know. Um, you know, you know, sometimes there's people that they just, uh, you know, maybe they're just, maybe they haven't really tried that hard in the past, and so they're not really, you know, maybe they're not mentally ready. Maybe it's just not the right time in their life to do it. Maybe they got other stuff going on in their life, and they just can't focus right now. Um, so, and you said like if changing their routines, like if I give them to do a workout at home, like. Uh, oh yeah, there's a lot of ways you can progress with bodyweight training. I mean, a lot of ways, is especially someone who's untrained, who, who can't do a lot of stuff with bodyweight, I mean, they can just progress with in terms of repetitions and sets, you know? I mean, I mean, if you think of in terms of just a pull-up, you know, if someone goes from, if someone can only do one pull-up, well, eventually they can do two and then three, you know, they've still got a lot of room to go up to 10, 15, you know, things like that. So they've still got a lot of room to progress. So someone who's um, who's untrained, doesn't have a lot of experience, there's a lot you can do with body weight type exercises that you can progress for quite a while on before you need to do something different with them. There's a lot you can do with body weight type exercises that you can progress for quite a while Wait, can, can you clarify your question? from one or two days, please. Um, wait, can, can you clarify your question? Like, yeah. if, if a guy just starting out and he's doing a home workout and he's doing just Maybe. one or two um, times will it yeah. give me him any results? If he's, if, if, if the bodyweight exercises are challenging enough, he'll get some results. Will that be optimal results? No. But, um, but someone who's totally untrained, even training just one or twice a week, um, will get, I mean, just by the fact that they're untrained, they're going to get some muscle gain and stuff, even from a low volume of training. So, so they should get something out of it, you know. It may not be ideal, but, uh, but they should get at least something meaningful out of it. So, something out of it, you know. It may not be ideal, but, but they should get at least something meaningful out of it. So, okay. Uh, a little bit about hypertrophy. Uh-huh. So, I read uh, a book of uh, Michael Matthews, uh, The Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, if you know. Uh -huh. Yeah, so it's a good book. And he always, always says, like, to gain more muscle, you need to be in uh, 80 to 95% of uh, 1RM. And you want to stick to 4 to 6 reps. And uh, what I see is that kind of exercise can really bore me. Like, if I'm doing too much... Uh, uh, high volume or uh, I, I go too heavy and I need to rest too much and I'm not sweating so it's, it's getting me bored so how, how can you really customize a routine that you can stick if I love drops and, and supersets 
and uh, in the rules you you are not so um so i'll add a, say a couple things about that uh, really first see progress. um brad schoenfeld and, and so, Stu phillips and some other people have published research now that indicates that you don't actually need to train with those super heavy weights to gain muscle um especially i mean you know brad did a study where he had subjects uh, he's actually done a couple studies like this um he had one where um, he had people train, you know, with something like, you know, three rep, three to four rep sets uh, versus something like, you know, 10 to 12 rep sets. Um, and as long as the volume was the same, the people gained the same amount of muscle. Um, and then he did another study where people did eight to 12 reps per set, and he compared that to something like 20 to 30 reps per set. Um, and again, the, and these were advanced trainees, they gained the same amount of muscle. Um, so this idea that we've got to train, you know, 80%, 90% one rep max to gain muscle um, isn't really supported by the data anymore. I mean, people used to believe that, but uh, um, you can, you know, you can gain just as much muscle with, you know, train moderate to light weights as you can with heavy weights. Um, you can gain just as much muscle with, you know, train moderate to light weights as you can with heavy weights. And can you um, mix this? Like, if I'm starting with a squat or a deadlift and I'm doing three sets of four to six reps, and after I'm finished with it, then I'm going supersets, drop sets, and can, um, can I still... Oh, you can still progress with just the three to four sets heavy. You know, the... Now, one of the limitations of that, though, is your training volume is going to be compromised. And so, if you're trying to gain muscle, and you're training with a super low volume, if you're only doing three to four rep sets all the time, um, eventually you're actually going to compromise your muscle gain because you're just not getting enough volume in, you know. So, so you got to add some more volume either by doing higher rep sets or doing things like drop sets or whatever um, to eventually keep the muscle gain coming. So, you got to add more volume either by doing higher rep sets or doing things like drop sets or whatever to eventually keep the muscle gain coming. So. So if I'm like doing the first three, six reps and then I'm going all the the exercise that I'm choosing, yeah, uh, I'm doing like yeah, you do have, minutes, definitely need to track it. I mean, must, um, uh, um, you, you definitely, I mean, it, right? you want to know, you know, how many reps are you doing with certain weights or whatever? Because um, at some point, I mean, you got to see some type of improvement in those things. Um, you know, if you're not seeing any improvement, then obviously you need to change something about your training program. So. You know, if you're not seeing any improvement, then obviously you need to change something about your training program. So, mm -hmm. so uh, I I see for most people the tracking part is very difficult, especially in nutrition. So, how would you say like a person who's just starting out, uh, how can he track his macros or calories so so he can really sustain it? Because I I try with client, okay, use my fitness pal, uh, use uh, like a, a scale. But they're still not not doing it because they have so much stuff in their mind to do, and I have work. Yeah, so and um, I can track Yeah, that's a real that's a big challenge. Address um, from all day. Usually, what I recommend is, I think everyone should track at least for a short period of time as accurately as they can, just to educate themselves. Now, tracking. You know, over the long run, is not sustainable. I mean, I mean, people can't they can't live a lifestyle where they're weighing their food all the time for months and months and months. I mean, yeah. So, um, so what you do 
is um, you know, once they've kind of just gotten an understanding of portion sizes and things like that, you start to loosen up on the tracking. You, you start to say things like, look, you know, if you're having uh, cruciferous vegetables or green leafy vegetables, you don't need to measure that stuff, you know. Don't worry about those types of vegetables. Um, you know, uh, you tell people like, you know what, uh, uh, a three-ounce portion of, of lean meat is about the size of a deck of cards, you know, so you don't necessarily need to weigh that out, you know. So people start to start, people start to develop an, uh, an ability just to kind of eyeball things. Um, and then another thing that you can do is um, there's other ways. You know, most, most people tend to eat the same stuff through the week, you know. I mean, uh, so people can develop certain types of meals, kind of go-to meals, that they don't need to track at all. They just kind of, maybe they measured it once, and then, you know, over time, you're, you're making the same meal, and, and that works, you know. Um, so, you know, that's an option. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's ways, simplified rules that people can develop uh, to kind of help help track better, you know. Um, and, and again, what you know, once you've at least kind of got some idea of it, um, and then you don't need to be tracking all the time. And so it's just a tool, you know, it's just a tool for people to use to kind of develop an awareness. Um, now, if you're, if you're someone competing, you want to compete in a contest, then that's different. I mean, you, you really need to be tracking, you know, if you want to get contest lean, um, you pretty much need to be tracking. Uh, uh, but, you know, a general weight loss client, um, you know, you have them track for a short period of time just to make sure they get things down, and then after that, uh, you know, you, you teach them ways that they can kind of somewhat track in their minds, you know, some simplified things, but they don't necessarily be, need to be putting things into MyFitnessPal and things like that. You know, some simplified things, but they don't necessarily be need to be putting things into MyFitnessPal and things like that. And and as a trainer, you you like in the first month. You gotta stick to them like phone calls and messages yeah. because this is something that I'm trying to do with a lot of clients, so they can be more aware in the first. Yeah, moment. yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, and you so know, for the for people that just won't do it, some, then you have to like, come up with alternative strategies that so, might work yeah. for that person. Um, and, you know, for the people that just won't, you know, whether it's developing some sort of plate rule, so like you, you tell them, okay. You know, you're not going to track, but here's what I want you to do. When you have a plate of food, I want one-third of your plate protein, I want one-third of your plate vegetables, and one-third of some carbohydrate, you know, something like that. So they don't have to track it, but they can kind of just eyeball, you know. So, so there's there's ways, other ways people can, you can do things for people that are just not willing to track, you know. So, so, so there's, there's ways, other ways people can, you can do things for people that are just not willing to track, you know. So, okay. Uh, last thing, uh, all my stuff that I do is about living. I just want. So, uh, uh, what is the that's legacy a really good question. that um, you want to leave? I just want. I just want people to uh, to respect um, the value of science and evidence and things like that, and and just. And, and how we can use those tools to help people, you know, um, you know, especially, you know, especially in, in today's world, you know, 
Um, you know, there's a good article out there called The Death of Expertise. It seems like we've lost respect for for science and evidence and things like that. I mean, you see it in the political climate nowadays. People seem like they don't care what facts are anymore. And, um, and I think it's important to, to just, you know, I, I, I guess I want people to remember me for, uh, um, you know, leave a legacy of, of being honest about what the data shows, being able to change your mind when you're faced with new evidence, you know, um, things like that. So, being able to change your mind when you're faced with new evidence, you know, um, things like that. So, that's awesome, man. And uh, I really want to thank you uh, very much uh, for the time that you gave me and uh, my audience. And uh, I really uh, wish you all the best and keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed this interview or any other one from the Mind Body Podcast, feel free to subscribe to my podcast at iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and at my YouTube channel. Also, feel free to share this podcast on Instagram by tagging the Mind Body Podcast. Do you want to be a part of the Mind Body Podcast? So remember the FAST Factor. The FAST Factor stands for 1. Facebook. Become a part of the Mind Body Podcast community by joining our Facebook community just by searching on Facebook the Mind Body Podcast community. Number two, act. Don't just be a passive listener. Act upon what you've just learned by applying one simple thing from any episode or interview. Three, subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you're visual like me, then just search the Mind Body Podcast on YouTube. And number four, train others. Because just like I always says, leaders create leaders, and you're all here to grow together. And by training others, you're training yourself. So this is the fast factor. Remember it. Facebook, act, subscribe, and train others. Oh, and please feel free to leave a review which will engage all your VAC senses. And the VAC senses stands for visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, which when you use all the three combined, you remember stuff much better. For more information about my coaching, public speaking, and taking your mind and body to all new levels, check my site at lidodayan.com. Till then, never, ever, Forget to smile. See you soon.